Welcome to Ready Row USA, Roapalooza episode number three. And if you're wondering what an Roapalooza is, it's a celebration of our three years of, of uh, live streaming and podcasting and our 100th episode. I picked a few themes for this month. We're going all through December, I think seven episodes. And today we have some wonderful people who make rowing their life. So the theme for today is my rowing life. Um, Ryan Worth of Glide Boats and Squeaky Orlock and uh, got All-American Rowing Camp. Um, <laughs> it goes on and on. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Charlotte. And after I finish talking, Ryan will be um, leading the discussion. Uh, Angelica Green, who I got to know through Instagram, and I'm just so grateful because I've got my gel pad. Yes, yes. <laughs> Isn't it great? I think I'm going to hang it on the wall. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and Tom Siddall is with us. He's a coach at Community Rowing, Tufts, and a, a, a bunch of other places. U.S. Rowing Para, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, exactly. A bunch of stuff with U.S. rowing. Bunch of stuff. So you can you can go into that in further detail. But right now, I'm going to introduce the show at Ready Row USA. We've seen firsthand that rowing changes lives, and we're on a mission to connect and collaborate with the rowing community. So, from boathouses to masters, beginners, legends, vendors, Olympic rowers, and coaches, we love rowing. We love talking about rowing advocating for inclusion and diversity in the sport and hanging out with row with other rowers. So we encourage you to chime in at readyrowusa.com. That's our new website. And I'm really happy to say that one of my favorite uh, people, Laura Williams is of good inklings is one of our sponsors and she has created this website which simplifies our messaging. And um, we have uh, a contact forum. We encourage people to come to the website and sign up. Tell us your rowing news for your club or what sort of gadgets and gear you like, um, you find helps your rowing. We have regular specials on both those things, club spotlights and gadgets and gear. So we go live, live stream via video to... Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So what we'd really love is if people could go on before the shows or during them and ask questions, put people like Tom and Ryan and Jell in the hot seat and, uh, you know, I don't know, ask them some, some, cool, some good questions or, you know, just say hello if you know them. That's what we really love. And we also wanted to mention... The, our uh, initial, our first distributor for the first two years was Rebecca Caro of Rowing Chat and Faster Masters, which she runs with Marlene Royal, a great um, training program. And we started in 2018 with them. So now, if I may introduce Ryan Worth again. And Ryan, I'll just uh, take it away and uh, talk about your rowing life. I'm going to unmute myself and, and then I'm going to get into it here. Really excited to have Tom and Joe here with us today. Um, all of us in our young adulthood, I think. So um, I'm going to start out with asking each of you to share where you first found rowing. Joe, you want to go first? Sure. Why not? Yeah. All right. 
So I'm Jell. Uh, I first found rowing in a mall, actually. It's a crazy, crazy story, but uh, I was going to return some clothing with my mom after basketball practice. And I saw this weird machine. It was called an erg, didn't know it then. And uh, the, there was two different teams representing uh, my local area. And they were like, you should sit down. You should sit down. I'm like, no, I, I play basketball. I don't do this. But uh, they somehow got me on the water. And the rest is absolute history. Like, I, I don't know. That's how I first got introduced to it was the, the erg. Yeah. And that was in high school? Yeah, my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. All right. And where did that take you from high school? Oh, my. It took me very far. I rode for seven years and ended up graduating from SMU and completing my rowing career there. So, yeah. Or completing the foundation of your rowing career there. The foundation, yes. I'm no longer sitting in boats, but I really miss it a lot. It's kind of, I think about it a lot. I'm still dreaming about it. I don't have the hands of a rower anymore, but, you know, <laughs> I've got the heart of one, so. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of us that were highly invested in and enveloped in the rowing world for a long time. Like myself, I found it in high school in Chattanooga, continued as a club guy in college in Knoxville, and I started coaching along the way. And the sport never really lost me, but most of my former teammates um, have moved away from the water in one way or another. But everybody who's really ever caught the bug thinks about that opportunity to get back in the boat. Um, absolutely. How, how did, oh, sorry, Joe, go ahead. Oh, I just said, yeah, absolutely. I hear yeah. You. And Tom, how, where did rowing first find you? For me, it was, uh, it was one of the summers in high school and, uh, I was, I was actually planning on continuing my running career, uh, into college and I was just getting injured a bunch towards the end of high school. And it just so happened that I was, you know, lifeguarding in the summer in high school and the Mount Holyoke uh, rowing coach at the time was a member over at the pool and she introduced me to rowing. I, I grew up in South Hadley, which is out in Western Mass, um, where Mount Holyoke is. And, uh, you know, they had just built a brand new boathouse and they kind of had these community programs in the summer. And uh, that's where I learned to scull and learned to row, started getting into some bigger boats. And then next thing I knew I was, I was rowing down in college and, uh, and I've kind of stuck with it ever since. And was, what was college rowing for you? Was that Fairfield? Yeah. Yeah. So down in Southern Connecticut, Fairfield, uh, university, it's a, uh, it's sort of a smaller division one program, but we were in a similar league with, uh, you know, like Marist college, um, Jacksonville. Um, and, and honestly, while I was there, it, underwent a massive transition in terms of competitiveness and, and the size of the program. And uh, I'm still pretty involved now kind of on the alumni board side. And it's, it's just so cool to see those guys now racing at IRAs and having a lightweight program and, and just a ton of cool stuff is going on down there. Absolutely. The connections are all over the place. So the stags and the uh, what's SMU is, is that the Mustangs? Everybody's got four-legged mascot, but um <laughs> You know, Tom, you you particularly have continued full steam into the coaching through your career. So while you were a college rower, when did the idea of coaching start to appeal to you? Yeah, so I, I actually, believe it or not, started coaching in college. Um, and there was sort of this, I don't really know what to call it, but basically there was, there was sort of this connection with some of the high school clubs down in Norwalk, Connecticut. So um, CBC, the women's program there. 
um, Maritime Rowing Club, Norwalk Rowing Club are in Fairfield are all on the same body of water. Um, and so when I went down there, there was kind of, they were always looking for coaches. And, and at least for me, I, it started as, wow, these are some really good coaches down at Maritime. I'm just going to spend as much time as I can there sort of selfishly to try to try to get better myself. And the next thing I knew, I kind of got into the, the coaching world and uh, it was pretty cool to see it from the other side while still being able to, uh, to row myself in the morning. That's very cool. That's kind of similar to me, Tom. It's funny that this is one of the first times we've talked in person, but I've known of you for quite a while. And I guess that's when I was at Stetson and you had found yourself at Pioneer Valley. And yeah, um, so and then I was like, wow, here's another guy who started coaching in college, kind of like I did. And it's um, I don't know, it's cool to have those counterparts. Right. But Jell, for you, you did do a little bit of coaching before you went full time as an artist and a maker. Yes. How, yes. What was that like for you coming out of SMU or when did when did the idea of coaching first present itself? Oh, well, from the second we pulled our last 2K, I, I just at SMU, I was just like, I don't think I'm done with this sport yet. I'm not done. And I was painting, doing a lot of that. And then a uh, few clicks here and there on LinkedIn. And indeed, I was like, I think I really want to pursue coaching. Um, so I went to coach at the University of Rochester. I uh, formed a really close bond with all my athletes. And I think I brought something different to the team that they hadn't really had in a while. So, um, But I feel like I, I have a lot more to learn as a coach before I just hop in and start that journey so absolutely that's very cool tom i'd like to ask you a little more you mentioned getting down to maritime and realizing that a lot of the coaches there were really good coaches and you had a wealth of um access to develop yourself professionally and learn more about the trade um i i looked into that at oak ridge i was working there as just a club guy and i was coaching some master stuff but with the spring training and things that went on at Oak Ridge, it was like, I didn't know Lin who Linda Murray was. I wasn't smart enough to know our sport very well, but when she was down there with her, with her um, ladies from Dartmouth, it was like the head coach was like, go right in her launch, you know? And so, and yeah. there you are and you get into that. I think that from my perspective, and I'd like to ask both of you, if you share this opinion, has that progression of finding where those next steps, is it, is it more convoluted is it harder to see as a young athlete in our sport or do you think that we are doing a good job of opening those pathways and helping people move from the rowing seat to the coaching launch hmm. that's a good question you should I lead on that uh, one, i think <laughs> yeah yeah totally i uh you know i think what i've seen just being in the boston area and there's just so many clubs and so much coaching and so many athletes to coach i think it's not quite so much the jump from rowing to coaching that's challenging. I think it's from coaching to staying in coaching and, and trying to, you know, make that a, a career or, or have some longevity in it. Um, and it, I would say, you know, at least in the Boston area, you know, if you're interested in coaching, we can find a spot for you at, at somewhere at, at one of the clubs in a launch. Um, but then I think it gets really challenging to try to do that for, for a career, you know, and, and, and figure out a way to make that happen. What absolutely does, doesn't it? The, there are not a lot of full benefits, full salary coaching positions out there. Um, so it makes that life balance difficult, but it's something that is unique about our sport. And I, I wonder a lot 
how we can leverage these unique areas. Because like you say, in Boston or even Western Mass, there's a lot of people that row and there's a lot of access to the sport, generally speaking. Um, you get to the Southeast or out in Texas and you might not see that access quite so readily, but there's plenty yeah. of water, right? Jell, how for you, did you feel like you were just a college rower who got asked to be a coach and it was just kind of like, you're trustable or were there, were there other points through your rowing career and other things you were doing in life that helped prepare you to be in that mentorship role and to be telling young humans what to do? Uh, I'd say, yeah, I felt driven to be a coach, but I'd say um, it came from other ways. So when I was in my career at SMU, I was injured. I had two bulging discs in my back that were so close to being, you know, herniated discs. I knew something's wrong, didn't know what, but during that time, I, I was kind of like a tool on my team as a recruiter. I always liked recruiting, trying to get people to join the team. At one point, my coaches were like, okay, can you please chill a little? Um, but I stepped up my game in that. And during that eight months where I couldn't row on um, all the PT and stuff like that. But uh, that's the part of coaching that drew me in. I feel like there's tons of opportunities out there if you want to learn how to coach and be a better coach because like I went to a conference in Saratoga the year I was coaching in Rochester and learned a lot from that met a lot of fellow coaches and others in the rowing community so I feel like you can do absolutely anything you want but you got to want to do it so that's how, that's how I feel about it yeah it, right you've got to want it and we we know that I think there's and this is something that I'd like to hear from you guys. From my lens in the Southeast, there are a lot of places that are ripe to start rowing. We just need good people that can create safe programming and get that equipment and the people in place to bring more people out to the water. Um, Tom, I'm, this is a segue into a bigger question about ODP and national team progression. But from your perspective, in an area that is pretty deep and rich in rowing and access, what what ideas might you have to share with people who are kind of that maybe they're already in the sport, they're a parent, something like that, but they're a fan of the sport and they want to help bring the sport to where they are. They've got a 2000 meter long lake in their city, et cetera. What what are some first steps for a novice, maybe program director is, I guess, the role that person might be starting to adopt? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And uh, I think they kind of chatted about this actually last week during the U.S. Rowing Conference. And, uh, you know, I think one thing that I believe it was Ted uh, Beneford from CRI, the executive director, shared that I, I would definitely echo is you know, I think if you ask anybody, they'll help. <laughs> and that's and that's sort of a great part about the rowing community. And, you know, if there was somebody that wanted to start a program somewhere, you know, for example, CRI just donated, a, you know, I can't even remember how many, but a bunch of eights to a lot of local um, clubs trying to get started over at Tufts. We had a couple of old eights that we gave to a couple of local clubs up and down the river. Um, and, and, you know, I think kind of like we've been hitting on, there's definitely possibility. There's definitely access. And, and maybe the biggest thing to start is just a little bit of networking, getting to know a few people kind of in the industry. And, and I think, uh, you know, you'd be surprised who would give you a couple of eights and, you know, maybe even a launch if, if you can figure that out. Definitely. And I think that that's the launch piece. Being able to hand somebody a shell is great. And with glide boats, here's a little pitch. These are plastic, inexpensive, durable boats. We're going to be able to help people start clubs that are just a rack with a couple boats next to a lake. And you can just slide these things off the edge of a concrete lip if you need to. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities like that. And the coastal rowing, 
growth, that's going to open us geographically, obviously, to a lot more places. Um, I spent a little bit of time last year checking out um, the North Shore of Lake Michigan along the Upper Peninsula. And that was after doing a camp in Traverse City. And we used some coastal, we used some touring equipment to run the sculling camp. And you don't worry about two foot waves when you've got the equipment for it. So opening those geographic areas, from my perspective as kind of a coach and a rower and somebody who, who travels to a lot of different clubs with all American, especially we get the chance to see a lot of different people's answers to how are we building this with recycled materials? How are we keeping our boats safe? How are we getting in and out of the water and things like that? Yeah, and I, the ability to take things that we're making, probably most coaches have had to do that. You've cobbled something together at some point, be it your trailer wiring or a oarlock back onto a boat, something along those lines. So you end up with these trade skills that whether or not they are ever inherent to you as a person, as a coach, you, you've at, at some point you at least learn how to cuss at a small engine, right? <laughs> so we all share that. Um, Joe, for you, you were obviously using seat pads, right? And was that for a rigging thing or a comfort thing? Uh, rigging thing. So my torso was far too short for the ratio of my body. Yeah. Yeah. Short torso. I feel that. So yeah. you, <laughs> and do you ever, did you ever get your seat pad mixed up with teammate seat pads or was yours already so unique disinherently? Well, before gel pads I did. And then that's kind of, the drive actually that made me start painting those that, that added to it painting them yeah personalizing yeah. them yeah well and being able to have our being able to have our personality because you know tom for you you coach in a lot of boats where the rowers don't really get any personality they're you're actually probably trying to make sure they never leave anything behind in the equipment right yeah yeah in some ways but no i definitely agree i think having a uh you know access to some seat pads would be awesome and then you know for people to be able to customize them a little bit that's that's a really cool idea i uh i, I like that a lot right i'm gonna have to follow up with you after this hey, hey there we go thank you <laughs> absolutely and we do have a couple other supporters of the show um one slide that flashed by was sykes and they're a manufacturer out of australia but We've got a distributorship here in the United States to get good equipment. Tom, or do you use any Sykes equipment? We don't have any currently, but uh, at, at Tufts or, or CRI, um, but I, I definitely have in the past. And we had some down at Fairfield, actually. Um, and, and they definitely, I felt like it was always solid, always good stuff. Um, yeah, this is great to see that they're kind of getting some, some marketing and some awareness going, though. That's great. Yeah, and Fabio will take care of you. Um, another one is Burnham Boat Slings. They're friends of the show and obviously do a great job taking care of the customers and more importantly, the equipment that their stuff goes on to protect. Um, and I think that's I think that's something that is an easy hang up for folks who say, wow, rowing is a great sport. There is so much equipment and there's so much to know when we look at all of this stuff. Would, would you guys consider this, Joe, I'm going to ask you first, would you consider the equipment of rowing to be a major hurdle into getting into it, the, the learning? I'd say, it, yeah, it could be. It definitely can be. Yeah. So for you, how was it, how was it maybe not that a hindrance? What types of things helped you go ahead and move from that erg at the mall into the sport? Well, despite the hour drive to practice every day, cause it was not in a great location for me. Um, well, that was something that got in the way, but, uh, 
I'm sorry, can you completely rephrase that question? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking about barriers to the sport. And we're having a conversation about our rowing lives. And we've obviously all stayed connected in one way or another. And at points, either through luck or through something that was intentional, barriers have been decreased to help us stay involved in whatever ways we do. And I'm sure everybody listening has a similar story to that. So for you, I'd just like you to think back on when you first saw that erg at the mall and you, the high school teams were recruiting, what got you from that first day sitting down to then to the water and then making that hour drive? Just a desire to row. I don't know. I don't know how the, there's a barrier there. I'm sorry. I'm not seeing I. Well, you, so you had, you weren't driving yet. So you had a family member or somebody that would, would take you. Yes. Plus, transportation. We do see that a lot for especially high school age rowers getting to the boathouse can be a problem. So these are just, I'm thinking about the person in small town, Midwest USA, that's 200 miles from the nearest boathouse, but they would like to help start some rowing in their town. Um, the ergs are a huge piece. So Tom, do you use, do you do a lot of programming where your athletes are primarily only ever seeing the erg or at, at some level? That's a good question. I'm not sure if we have any, I mean, I guess winter training, you know, up in the Northeast would be a, a component of that. You know, if you came in and, started rowing or, or wanted to check it out at CRI, um, you know, maybe that you'd spend the winter months on the ERG. Uh, but not that I can think of right now, maybe, maybe the only example of that is I have a couple of friends that, uh, you know, do CrossFit or something like that. And, and that's where they're seeing really ERG only um, training happening. But I would say at least in the Boston area, I think if, if you want to try to get out in a boat, there's definitely a place to, to make that happen. All of that said, I think what you're what you're hitting on about a few of these areas where there's not a ton of access and the equipment being a hurdle, I, I definitely know what you mean. We're, we have a, uh, a bit of a nonprofit going on Nantucket, and we're trying to get some equipment for those guys set up. And so you've got to get boats on a ferry across from Massachusetts to Nantucket. Um, and yeah, I think I think it can be a challenge. I'd, I'd be interested to see uh, some of the stuff you're talking about with the glide boats and, and maybe if it worked for a place like Nantucket. Yeah, well, and, and through the islands, I think we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, Michael Knowles has been on the show before. He's down at Scullers Rowing in the Bahamas, and they they built most of their boats out of plywood initially. So wow. there, are, there are tons of creative solutions, and I think people that get more plugged in it's almost like we're the resources wasted on us to some extent. I'm worried about the person who saw it on a hydro advertisement and they want to know more about it because they think that their 13 year old kids are going to love this. And so th this is happening. And I think that the more conversations that those of us who work in the sport as makers like gel or coaches like Tom can have out loud and say, you know, do you just have a concrete seawall? That's not a barrier to putting a boat in the water. You're just not going to be able to do it with your racing shell. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really anyway. cool. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm very, I'm getting really excited about that. I've the last couple of years of the pandemic have been really weird for me because the programming that I was coaching basically halted and we weren't in hindsight being 2020, we weren't really ready to help the university club students stay plugged in when they were forced hundred percent remotely. Some programs did a good job of that. You know, like Vanderbilt, shout out to them. Those kids were erging in their dorm rooms because they didn't have anywhere else they could go to work out. And their men's four won the club four at the Charles this year. So if this if the system's there, you can be successful in it. And so that's what I think folks like us, and we, we are, if you will, a younger generation, 
Um, we're seeing the referee corps find people who aren't retired at your next regatta in the referee corps. There's not many of them, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, so Jill, here's my, here's my uh, call to action for you. Go recruit some of your old SMU teammates and tell them to go become referees so that we can continue to host good, safe regattas. I could see them going there. I could see them doing it. Yes. And it's a fun, you know, you can, you can be a rower again for two weekends a year. Um, but yeah, going to the glide boats thing, we've got a couple slides that have popped up the coastal, the touring, the ocean rowing. And that is actually something I have in Chattanooga now. It's a friend of mine's old Woodvale ocean rowing boat. So if you want to, if you want to check out something that's a little more off the beaten path, the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge just started like yesterday. A bunch of boats left the Canary Islands and they're rowing under human power only over to um, the Caribbean. And th- we have a boat of that same style in Chattanooga. So if someone's thinking maybe I need to take my rowing to the ocean, then you just want to spend a night out. Let me know. <laughs> you can Charlotte can get you the uh, contact information. We can get you out on an ocean rowing boat for an overnight trip on the river. Um, Very cool. We are on the show. We are giving away two hundred dollars off a glide boat purchase so if you want to buy a new glide boat we've got three different models you can check them out at glideboatsusa.com and if you're the winner you're going to get a coupon for that we're also going to be able to hook up with a nice trucker hat um we've got our first container of boats got loaded up in the uk that's where they're built um yesterday so that container is getting loaded on a ship and it'll be hitting the u.s in january gel tell us about your a little more about your pads we keep mentioning them but, but what can people get from you Yes. So gel pads. I, I was four years into my rowing career, first year at SMU, when I found out I had a shorter torso. I had no idea. So actually, in terms of barriers, um, that would be one, just general knowledge. Like if you don't know you're rowing wrong, a better mentor or coach to tell you, hey, you're rowing wrong, you're going to hurt your back. So that's the reason why I created them was because the coach said, hey, you you need to sit on something. So they cut up some yoga mats for me and said, sit on this. And it looked like that picture on the left that you see in the last slide. Um, And then I went, I was actually taking a advertising, creative advertising class. And our optional homework in that class was to come up with a creative idea and share it with the class the next day. Now it was pretty intimidating as like a freshman in college when the class had 150 people to stand up and do that but I was like I just painted something on this device that my coaches made for me and this is creative so give me some extra credit professor thank you so it worked um and it was like a double win for me because I got something pretty to sit on that I brought to practice the next day and my my team was like what is that what what are you doing what are you doing I'm like I don't know I just had to let it out had to be creative so I did that um Got out of the boat after practice and there was paint all over my booty. It's beautiful. So uh, it's come a long way. I've done a lot of, uh, what would you call it? What's the word? Experimenting like uh, with with what I'm using and how I create them. And then that third picture on the right uh, is just like where I'm at now and where I'm planning to go in the future. So um, just the most seat pads I've made at once for an order is eight or sorry gel pads is eight but I think I can go even bigger they take time but it's something that I just feel like I have to do like it keeps me involved in the sport and also like lets me be creative and let let all that crazy creative juice out that I've always had so 
Oh, yeah. You're commissioning an art piece and getting the seat pad that's going to help the geometry. And are you giving anything away on the show? I am. So I'm going to give away a gel pad. Uh, details will come more later on that with Charlotte. Yeah. Well, and Tom, I, I, wa I do want to try to pull this full circle. And I know you just talked about this last week at convention, but Pathways into Paralympic. And this is another thing about the sport that gets me really fired up is any breathing human can find a way to be involved in rowing. And to a large extent, if, as for people who are driven to be participants on the athletic side, cognitive and physical differences are barely barriers. I mean, just getting anybody safely to the water is a much bigger hurdle than figuring out how to put a, you know, a double amputee safely in a boat and teach them about that. Can you give us a little, maybe like a 30 second pitch for the adaptive community? And yeah, kind of like how, how can we get more of different folks into the boats? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, speaking of barriers, I mean, obviously that that's a challenging one. Some of the boats having to be, you know, specific equipment and things like that. But, you know, uh, in our presentation last week for U.S. rowing, I think one thing that Jenny Sitchell mentioned for the PR1 and PR2 uh, categories. So, you know, something like amputees, um, basically fixed seat rowing. So, so the seat would be non-moving. I think the way to go with that, and, and again, these are Jenny's words, but um, is, is to start on the erg. And you can actually, you know, detach the slide from the erg and have a person, you know, whether they're in a wheelchair or, or just sort of sitting in, in a static position, and then just getting a feel for moving the handle from the erg. Um, and, you know, that's not something I thought of. She's much more creative than me. But uh, it, it really is sort of a way to get people started. And then I think the other thing we've been sort of encouraging people to do is to try to just get involved with indoor rowing competitions. Um, not something that we've really hit on yet, but things like Crash Bees and, you know, is in the Boston area. And I know there's a ton of other ones across the country. And I think that can be a relatively easy entry point for the adaptive para uh, community. And then from there, if, if that's something that interests you, uh, I think we have a lot of resources through U.S. Rowing. And, uh, you know, Ellen Misner, for example, is the, the high performance director. She's connecting people across the country constantly um, trying to just give people access and start from there. And, you know, if people get into it, who knows where it's going to take them, especially these fixed seat PR1, PR2 categories. Um, the the on-ramp, again, what our presentation was about, is relatively short. You know, it, once you get in a boat and, and learn the basics, you know, it's a one-person boat with a fixed seat. And, uh, and we've seen a lot of people have a lot of success in, in a year or less. Absolutely. And I want to echo what Tom said. It is indoor rowing season. So Concept2 has a calendar on their website with events. Um, you've also got the Row2K calendar and a lot of their events do use Regatta Central, but especially these indoor events, you got to watch that a lot of them won't be on Regatta Central. A lot of them are being held in CrossFit boxes. A lot of them are doing a, a I think a little better job as far as our sport goes of grabbing the parent, the neighbor, the friend and the CrossFitter down the street and saying, you're going to race each other in this 500 meter dash. <laughs> and, and so that's another take home for all you rowers who have family members and whatever that haven't done it yet just sign them up for the 500 meter dash at the, at the nearest indoor event, you know, in Chattanooga, we've got the Tennessee indoor rowing championships. We're going to our 32nd year of having that event last year was, um, one of the only ones that we've not been able to have. We've had a couple of weather. 
Um, I don't want to say anything to Tom about snowstorms, but down here in Chattanooga, it has been known to actually stick on the ground a time or two every year. But um, I digress. But the indoor rowing competitions are a great way. And the cost of entry is so low. You, all you got to do is have your gym closed and you can go sign up and compete in your first rowing event. So any any kind of parting words? I've ran us well over our time here. I'm sure Charlotte's about to come on and, and cut us off. Jelly, you have anything you don't want to left, leave left unsaid? Um, not that I can think of, no. <laughs> well, Dale, it's really been nice getting to chat with you. I'm so glad that you're providing this um, content to our sport. You're giving, you're giving some life to one of the more mundane and least respected parts of the boathouse, the lowly seat pad of it. And Tom, you are, you are all over the place. You're coaching high school all the way through high performance at different levels. Um, so glad to see you stoking the fire and keeping it real. And uh, look forward uh, I appreciate to what it. Next, you know, 40 years of your career are going to, are going to bring. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And this has been great to chat and uh, thanks again for having me on everybody. And uh you know, Ryan yeah. specifically, I, I, you know, I feel like we've sort of interacted in two separate spheres for, for a while now. And it's great to, uh, to chat a little bit more in person, even if it's virtual. Drawing connections. We Indeed. love it, don't we, Charlotte? We do. I mean, that's kind of why I started this podcast and live stream, you know, it's just to, to connect these different people in the rowing community, just even like the, the clubs, like there, are, there's a new club starting up in Lynn, Massachusetts, the North, North Shore Maritime Rowing Center. Do you know about them, Tom? No, you know, that's that's great to hear. I, uh, I'll yeah, have to figure out who's who's involved there. Yeah, well, he uh, will. Uh, it's William Goldenheim, and he'll be on uh, later in the month. Uh, we, we're taking the month, the week of Christmas off and then the the celebration will continue the week after Christmas. But he and the guy from uh Zatorsky, Matt Zatorsky from Seattle Scholars, long-term road sure. development will be on. And a, the theme of that one is uh, new and different strokes. So new is the, the new club and different is Seattle Scholars, who I've observed for a long time. And they have a very uh, kind of an activist vibe, I think, in their club, you know. So it's it's cool to connect these people. And Jill, I just, I love my rowing pad. Thank Here you so much. Again. Just, I was going to put it on my green screen, but I haven't done it yet. You have to figure out how to attach it. But uh, we will we'll continue uh, tomorrow. We have uh, a session on uh, celebrating customer service in rowing. Let's kind of started with my experience with uh, NK Sports, Nielsen Kellerman, speed coach, a customer service person, uh, Joe Rakoski. And I was just so impressed with how he, you know, I, I'm just like an old lady who skulls, you know, I, but it didn't matter. You know, he just went the distance and several other people at the company did the same, you know, and I, I'd have trouble, you know, I had to read the manual. So I had to call them. <laughs> um, it was just a good experience. And I can see that it permeates their company culture. So that is a the, the theme tomorrow. And we'll also have Peter Kermond from Burnham Boat, another excellent um, representative of customer service and uh, Rachel Friedman of Rosource. 
So we're going from like a big company to a small one person company that does it right with a taking care of growing customers and, and uh, just, I just love their philosophy. And then, okay, we skip over to the, the 28th of December, we're having uh, the different new and different strokes, as I mentioned. And then on the 29th, the makers, so JL Racing, another big company, y'all probably familiar with them. And uh, they've gone through a lot of transitions in the last few years. And I think they're doing a good job of uh, taking care of people. Uh, Fabio Selvig, which we, who we mentioned earlier, um, from Resolute Sykes. So we're going to talk a little bit about manufacturing and the logistics and the supply chain and all that. And then ending up the celebration in December is Row for Your Life uh, with Nick Karwaski from Hydro. And he's started a, uh, a training program, Tag Along with a Pro. So it's kind of spinning off of his hydro experience. Marnie Schroer is a rower from Spokane River Rowing Association who's had some injuries and she's coming back into it. So this fits in with that theme. And then Blake Gorley from the Science of Rowing, which is one of my personal favorite rowing organizations. I, y'all know about Science of Rowing and Joe, De, Joe DeLeo, is it? Joe DeLeo, yeah. Blake Gorley, and... Will Ruth. Will Ruth, yes. I just, I, I kind of geek out when they come, when I watch their stuff, you know, it's just, but it's understandable. It's, it's technical, but understandable. So, and it's very relevant. So anyway, that's where we are. And I just love connecting people. So thank you for coming and connecting and let's do it again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks again. See you yeah. guys on the water. See you there. This is Ready Row USA signing out.